our king, our friend, our counselor, our physician, our high priest, our father. God, I know I'm not the only one today that came here and had so many hurdles to jump through. And God, I know that I'm only here by the power of the blood. And that stands for all of us here today. God, I ask for your anointing that you may get the glory for this lesson in the midst of my weakness. And most certainly today, I feel very weak. Lord, I thank you for what you have done and for Luke. And I pray that this would be clear and that I would just be a vessel. But God, I pray that it would come into these women's hearts and that they would leave here encouraged and just adorned with your grace and more of your truth and more of your love. In your name, amen. So last week, we started Luke, and today we finish it. And last week, we got through two chapters, and today we're going to go through 22. Last week, when I arrived, I uh, felt like I had been carried here, kind of in Cinderella, like in a um, one of those carriages, you know, before you get to the, the ball, and I arrived, and I was like, Lord, just orchestrate everything. This week, it was like I was, they tied a rope to me and carried me on the back of the truck. That's kind of how my week felt, and uh, I got here, and I'm very excited about this content. So first, I'm just going to do a little bit of a review for those of you who were not here. Last week, we said that Luke's history, his history went back further than the other Gospels. That's one of the reasons why we covered it for, uh, we covered so much in those first two chapters, because that part of the narrative was missing from the other, from the other narrative in the New Testament, the n- narratives in the New Testament. And we traced the thread uh, from the Old Testament. We said that Luke started off where Malachi left off the last prophet in the Old Testament when he said in chapter 4, 5, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of destruction. And we watched how this played out, and John the Baptist was the Elijah that was to come. That's what Christ had said. And Luke's goal was to give Theophilus and the people at large at that time certainty of the events that happened, and that he was there to help the church reconcile the doctrine that they had received, and he was explaining to them that Jesus is the way and that truth is a person, and that was the emphasis of his gospel. When we picked up in Luke's narrative, we picked up with the Israelites. They are still in exile, and then God broke the silence, not through a prophet, almost as if to say, this is so important to me. He sent his own, and the prophets were his representative, but he sent Gabriel, an angel, to break the silence, and where does he appear on the narrative? But he appears right in the temple. It was astounding. He spoke to Zechariah, and then he comes to the most unbelievable places, if you were uh, Israelite at that time, to a town that was considered despised, a place of the Gentiles, and the last place that you would expect to find a Messiah, and that is the town of Nazareth. It was a place that no one would have thought, and what it was meant to show is that this is going to be the end of the exile for all who believe. God had chosen the most humble of times in Israel to make it the most joyful. As we followed the narrative through the life of John the Baptist, we paralleled his life with Samuel's. We demonstrated how Samuel set the stage for the Davidic covenant, 
but how John the Baptist would set the stage for the new covenant. It was a foreshadowing of everything that is to follow in the book of Luke. The focal point of Israel up to this time was the temple, and it is now pointing toward a person who is Christ. With the virgin birth, we saw that there was a foreshadowing of the new thing that was going, going, God was going to do. In his resurrection, there would be life, but it is made possible through a new Adam and an uncorrupt seed. Shortly after the birth of Christ, the baby returns to the temple. In Luke 2, 40, Simeon had prophesied that in the Old Testament, we had saw how the temple was meant to be the light of Israel and the glory of the, or, or a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And this is the exact prophesi- prophecy that Simeon declares over the baby when, he, when the glory, when the baby returns to that temple. It was astonishing. And what we saw by this is that everything was about to change. God was working one way, and now it was going to be different. And revolution was coming, but it isn't going to happen the way that we think. So this is where we start off today, right where we left off in Luke 3. Luke closes up with the genealogy, the genealogy going back to the Gentiles. We saw that he traced the thread, he traced the line all the way back to Adam, showing that this is a gospel not just for the Israelites, but for the nations at large. And thus, the emphasis of Luke is going to be that this is a gospel for everyone who believes. Now, in chapter 3, where we left off, we have John the Baptist preparing the way. He is going to dive right into the heart of the issue by addressing the hearts of the people. And what I'd like to say is, John the Baptist, at that time, they didn't, they didn't have prophets. There had been this silence. Their leaders had led them astray. And John the Baptist is coming on the scene, and he's saying, this is where you're at. So he's kind of like a mirror, and he's reflecting to them, your hearts are not with me. They are hardened. Your leaders are, your leaders are wrong. And he is going to, in great detail, describe this with the, uh, the comparing and contrasting with the life of the Pharisees. And then John the Baptist, digging into their hearts, he is going to bring the gospel all the way around, and he is going to prepare the way of the Lord by talking about repentance. And he is going to call them to this. His, pro- his, 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 um, his mission was like that of Elijah's, where he is going to come in power. He would have an effective ministry. And he is showing them that the law was good, but it has been twisted by their leadership. And he's going to make it very clear that what it had become was bad. And then this is another way that he's preparing the way for the Lamb. So last week, when we compared the ministry of John the Baptist to Samuel, I said that their stories were similar because because of what God was going to do through them. God had made sure that all of Israel understood the importance of the life of Samuel and also saw the moment. So do you remember in the Old Testament, it's kind of like you have this this whole story about about Samuel, and his life is is really established, and we, we miss the birth of of David, really, but then all of a sudden, it's, it's probably, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, where, you know, Samuel's looking for the, you know, who's going to be anointed king, because Saul wasn't there, and he shows up um, at, at, at this house, and there's all these boys, and um, please tell me the name of the dad, my mind's drawing a blank, who? Thank you. Shows up at the house of Jesse, and the sons come forward, and he's trying to figure out which one, and then this little boy comes off the field, and it's David, and, and he's anointed. We love that story, and I feel like the Lord was making a point, uh, you know, kind of endearing our hearts to, the, to this, this, to this, this significant character in history. It was a very, very big deal. And what I wanted to show is that this baby that has now grown up, that there's no one powerful, uh, that there's, there's nobody that can anoint this son. Even John the Baptist is not going to do it. 
And what we see is, so whenever the heavens are opened in scripture, something significant is going to happen, all right? The first time the heavens were opened were in the flood with Noah. Then they were opened again at Jacob's ladder. This was God showing the people that I want to have a relationship with you. And then we had Ezekiel, all right? The heavens are open, and Ezekiel comes into the heavenlies, and he sees uh, we, uh, what is happening, and God is showing him that, that what the trajectory that Israel has been on is so much bigger than anything you've understood so far, and, and, he's, and he's just ordaining this new system that's going to come into play. And this is when the heavens are open, and who anoints the Son? It is the Father. It is a huge deal. And this is the ministry of Christ, and this is how it begins. It is the God, the Father, who anoints the Son for ministry, and then is going to prove and affirm his role as a, with a, as a greater, of a greater ministry. In these scriptures, we see that this is God's Son in whom he is well pleased. This is the perfect Israelite. Jesus is showing over and over that he is in perfect submission and obedience to his Father. He will perfectly obey the requirements of the law, and he's going to show them how it's done. And here's the deal. He shows them. We see the life of the disciples. Uh, we see him teaching the Pharisees. We see him teaching the people. And the whole time in Luke, there's this, there's kind of this, um, this struggle. And we, and we see it. We get frustrated with the disciples because we're like, aren't they figuring this out? And Jesus is teaching and teaching. And, and, and we just, we don't see it functioning for them. But he keeps explaining the kingdom. He keeps showing them how it's going to happen. And I think one of the emphasis and what we're supposed to see is that we, we can't do this. There's something that's still missing from this puzzle. So even while the Lord is coming and he's laying down this law and he's perfectly showing us how to live, we are trying to do it, the disciples are trying to do it, and they just can't. So it's pointing to something that big is going to happen, but yet the whole time he's describing what this new covenant is going to look like, all right? For the life of the disciples, we see that we need more than just a person to follow. Our flesh to just follow this person, just, just do what Jesus would do, is just really simply not enough. Our sin is such a problem that we need a new heart, all right? We need a new Adam. We need a Savior to save us from our sin. We need a physician to save us from the effect of sin. And because of a righteous God and our problem that we can't reach up to him because he is holy, because he is perfect, we need a holy high priest and an intercessor that can pray for us. And as Brian said a few weeks ago, we need a king that only God can provide. And this is, this is the story that's happening in Luke. So today, we're going to follow through major themes. And one of the huge themes that we just, we can't pass over because they're so big, and I kind of wish we could. I remember when I'd open up Luke and I'd, I'd try to read it when I was a new believer, I was like, why do they keep talking about these Pharisees? They're just they're just in the way, and they're, they're just making a mess of things, and wh what's the big deal? Well, I understand now, and part of the reason I understand is because all last year, we put a weight on what Israel was supposed to be, and, and, and the Pharisees really are a reflection of the heart of Israel, and they have, they have, they are a reflection of, 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 of so much, of such a bigger thing, and so I'm going to take some time um, to, to talk about them. So, I just said that that they represent the heart of Israel at large. This is a problem um, to the Lord. So, so the Lord loves his sheep. He loves his people. And he's broken and grieved over the fact that 
these, these men have led them astray, and he's going to deliberately call out. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, if, if, I, if I left my kids with a, a babysitter and, and I got home and I found that they let them watch all this stuff and do all this stuff, I would come and I wouldn't, I wouldn't just confront what they did was bad, but I would, I would explain that the, that the teacher themselves was bad. And I would, you know, I would reestablish myself as the authority in their life. That's where it happens first. And the Pharisees had taken this authority, and it had become a huge problem. And it wasn't even their authority to have. So Christ is going to deliberately call out what's bad in order to protect the flock. I used to read it, and I think, well, he's being so mean to them. No, he's not. This is a loving rebuke because of what they were, their purpose, and, and who he's protecting, okay? It's intentional. This, it, it's the same as today in church when a pastor calls out sin, um, or maybe he calls out a false leader. This is, this, is, this is protecting people. It is a good thing. And so uh, Christ is going to make clear in quite a few scriptures what their judgment is, all right? Number one, they love themselves more than God, and they love the praise of man. And by the way, as I'm reading these, sometimes we can see ourselves in these, um, and so realize that uh, there's a personal application as well. They don't want God, all right? In fact, they are against him completely. How do we know this? Because they reject God's word. If you reject God's word, you're against God, okay? The, the, the word is his, repre- his representative. They have the ability to see truth, but they don't because their hearts are hard. As a result, they have mishandled the law that was meant to lead the people of Israel. So they've abused their authority, which is false to begin with. And in the end, really, they, they love the horizontal. They don't love the vertical. In other words, they don't care about the relationship. They, they're just doing everything, quite honestly, in their flesh. They've, they've completely missed the point. God has a verdict on these men, and he says, basically, this generation is not good. And so his judgment, and this is a huge thing, is that he's going to shield their eyes from it. He's going to hand them over to spiritual blindness. And what I want to say about that is that this is the worst judgment that anybody could have. If the Lord gives you every single thing that you want on this earth, but you are spiritually blind, you are to be pitied above all men. But if you have nothing... Nothing. And he gives you Christ. He opens your eyes. You have everything. That is how history is going to change. And Christ is coming to turn it on its head. The point is that Christ is worth more. And that's what we're going to see. But not the Pharisees. According to Abner Chow, it's not that Christ is rejecting them. No, in fact, they are going to demonstrate that Christ is exactly who he says he is. Or they're actually going to believe that he is who he says he is. Okay? At the end, this happens in their actions, but the problem is that they don't care. They don't want to believe it. And we know this because what happens in the end. They are the ones to crucify him at Jerusalem. It's actually the Gentiles as well, but that's a different story. We, we are all guilty of that. Um, and it is our sin for which he dies, but we'll get there. So God's other verdict is that the Gentiles are prepared, but you are not. All right, and so as a result, this is going to become an error of judgment or unbelief for the Jew, and it's going to become the error of the, the era of the Gentiles. And so with them set aside, you're going to see the Lord do something new, okay? And I'm going to compare and contrast what Israel was meant to be with what Christ became, all right? So Israel was supposed to be a witness to the nations. That was their job. But Israel showed up to this point that they did not have an innate desire to save the nations, Okay, we saw this with Jonah. Jesus is going to make Israel all that they were supposed to be and should have been by going after the nations. And thus, he fulfills the responsibility and ministry that Israel was supposed to have. All nations 
have to be blessed through him according to the prophecy. That's exactly what he's going to do. We know that he is our good shepherd. He came to guide and protect the sheep, but instead the Pharisees have kept them out of the kingdom. Christ, in contrast, is going to seek and save the lost. Throughout Luke, we see him come, and this is so significant, he comes to the least of these, he comes to the Gentiles, he comes to the women, everything that they thought they valued, he's turning on its head, all right? He comes to the children, he comes to the spies, he comes to the tax collectors, the one that everyone hates, and my favorite is when he goes to Nicodemus, because who is he going to? He's going to the Pharisees. He loves them all. Everyone, including the Pharisees, this opportunity is still open to them. At large, he's blinded them, but individually, everyone is welcome into the kingdom. Israel was supposed to protect the people from false prophets, and instead, they crucify the most important prophet of all, Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets, and he is the perfect fullness and completeness of God's power. Prophets, in order to be a prophet, had to accomplish what they said. They had to faithfully carry and interpret the word of the Lord and to preach and get the gospel out and guard the people against false teachers. That is what we see Jesus doing when he's confronting the Pharisees. He is fulfilling this role. The, the, the leaders of Israel were meant to be doctors. Not only does Jesus have the actual power to heal them physically, but he heals them spiritually by taking away the disease and the effects of sin. One that's extremely important is that the people were to teach. That's, that's, what they, that's the, what the role that the Pharisees, or not the Pharisees, but what the, what the, the leaders were supposed to have, okay? And Jesus is showing that your authority is false, but mine is authentic. Authority is so important. It has everything to do with what we're going to get into next. Jesus has the true authority that the first Adam was supposed to have, and he's actually going to be obedient in it. Now, due to the fall of the first Adam, the mission of the second Adam, which is Christ, also the final Adam, is redemption. The purpose of his authority is to save sinners, and this is a responsibility that he is going to bear. Israel was to take the law to the people, but they didn't do that. They completely misinterpreted it. But Jesus, as the faithful interpreter of the law, is going to guide the people to truth. You remember the, the wineskins? Um, I remember reading this. It took me forever. What, what is he talking about? The law was good, but, and Jesus is going to fulfill the law, but literally he comes in and he turns it on his head, and he's like, what I'm going to do is so much bigger than the law. I'm going to fulfill it, but I'm going to do I can't, I, can't, I can't even work with this new system. And he didn't even try to. He just comes in, and, and he's not going to try to fix the problems with Judaism. He's going to do a new thing that happens on the inside out. It's something on this vertical, and the Pharisees don't want anything to do with it. And the way that he does this, I absolutely love it, is in, in, the, in the Pharisees and the people, they should have figured this out if, if they, they, um, they had read the word, is remember Moses, he went up the mountain and he gave him the law. Well, Jesus goes up the mountain and he, and he, he brings the law and he expounds on it. This is really what the Sermon of the Mount is. It is a sermon that explains if you really want to be a part of the righteous remnant, which is Israel fulfilled, then this is what it's going to look like. But you are not going to be able to pull this off without God's help. All right? If this is a new constitution. It's something that can't be done in the flesh. Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount shows the fullness of what the law was intended to be and to do. And here's the deal. 
you know, we're like, what's he trying to do? Start a revolution? You know, all this stuff. No. It's it, the way this plays out is so different than anyone could have planned. And essentially, what he's doing is he's bringing heaven to earth, and he's starting a new Eden. This is, this is how it's going to look like. This is how my people are going to be in this new world, in these new heavens. This is, this is how you achieve this, and this is how it's going to look like. So what does it look like? Let's, let's think back historically. Uh, the people of Israel had been, it, it, was, it was a very physical blessing. The, the nature of it is that they were going to come into the land, so they were going to have houses. They were going to have food that was plentiful. Um, they had this physical structure, the temple. Uh, the Lord blessed them. It was a physical manifestation of his, of his, of his favor. Uh, the Jews at the time would have um, thought of Job and how the Lord, uh, you know, for his faithfulness gave him all this stuff and poured out things upon his life. And here, uh, so, so when Jesus is, is going to give the Beatitudes, they're like, what, what is he talking about? This would have been uh, very, very confusing for them, okay? And he says to them, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, wait, I thought you were going to bless us. And because blessing to them looks one way, but now it, it looks different, all right? So blessed are you who are hungry now. Well, Lord, I thought you were going to feed us. I thought that was the whole point of being in the land. Well, right now, that, that's, not, that's not how it works. Um, but one day you're going to be satisfied. So they're going, what is this? Blessed are you who, who weep now, who mourn. Well, I thought we were supposed to be happy. I, you know, weeping was part of our judgment. We're in the exile. You know, this is, this is our uh, demise. You know, here we are in this sad time, and you came for joy, but we're going to weep. You know, what is going on? This is, this is so different. But he tells them one day you're going to laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you on account of me. And then you tell them, Love your enemies. Well, wait a minute. We, you, you slighted our enemies. Part of our deliverance was that you came against our enemies. So, so the, what, what's going on? This is, so, this is so backwards to them. And I, I, my husband had a book. I, I have not read it, but it sat on our shelf uh, since we got married 16 years ago. And it's called The Upside-Down Kingdom. And I, that, that, that goes through my head so many times. It, everything is upside-down, okay? This is the new kingdom, the new covenant. Everything he's doing is so different. And, and it means everything for those of us to believe, okay? And so now that he's given kind of the rules of the kingdom and that everything's different, and, and you know, he, he's, this is just blowing their minds, he's going to explain how this kingdom works, all right? And he goes through these parables. So we have the parable of the sower. Well, what is being sown? The word of God. And guess what? You have it in its fullness now, okay? So the word of God is how this kingdom is going to grow. Who's going to make it grow? By the way, you can't even make it grow. I make it grow, okay? Um, there's going to be, it's going to be like yeast. Well, what does yeast do? It, it comes into uh, the food. I've never used yeast. It's really, I bought it one time. It was really expensive. Uh, but I never used it. I threw it away when we moved here. But uh, anyway, it, it leavens. It makes everything, um, it, it, just, it just permeates the whole thing. And so he's, he's basically saying that there's an inevitability to the kingdom. Just like yeast just levels and permeates the whole thing, this kingdom that's going to come is going to level everything. It's gonna, it's, there's, it's just, and it's inevitable. There's nothing at all that you can do to stop it but the mustard seed. It's going to start super small. It's going to sp start small, and it's going to grow and grow and grow. And so, it, it, and, and they're still, I mean, this is, this is, this doesn't make sense to them. We get it now because we've seen the, you know, what the fruits of the, we've seen this stuff happen, but they're going, oh, I don't understand. Um, so so this, this is what these parables are. He's trying to teach them. Um, the nature of the kingdom is that there's going to be great breath 
to who he lets come in. So all the p everyone's, everyone's welcome to come, but it's going to just be a remnant still. Okay, so while there's great breadth to the peoples that are going to come, it's, it's just few are going to find it, all right? Now, our job and the nature of how this kingdom expands is that we can't force it, all right? That's what we want to do today. You know, we want to force it and make this kingdom happen. It's not how it works. Our job is just to be faithful stewards. That's our job. Um, I used to think, you know, that I could, uh, when I first got saved, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, we need to get people saved. And so I, I put my own thinking cap on and I went, I'm going to go get a master's degree in leadership and I'm going to start a nonprofit. And I did. Sure enough, I did those things. And uh, at, the, at the height of, of, you know, I had a most significant people um, where I lived on this board of mine and I had city council members and I had supervisors and, and I was like, here's what we're going to do to shape this town, this community. And, uh, and, and I remember, I mean, I, can't, I went home and had a real honest talk with myself. I said, Lord, you're not in this, are you? No. No. This was your idea, not mine, Sarah. I'm not kidding you. And, uh, and I was like, well, I thought I was supposed to do everything I was doing. He's like, no, I, you were following me back there, but then you got this idea that you were going to do this great stuff for me, and that's not how, that's not it, this isn't it. And so I just watched as my whole little good idea for God just crumbled. I mean, it just, it just, it just crumbled. And, um, and fortunately, I did figure it out by the end of, of my time in California, uh, and he was so patient with me along the process, but but this kingdom is his. It's his prerogative. What he does, he takes the initiative. So it's not, it's, not even, it's not something we can do in our flesh, even our good ideas, even trying to be a Christian. The nature of this kingdom is the word of God being sown, and it is at his prerogative. It's under his authority. This is how this whole thing plays out, all right? Um, so we don't make plans in this kingdom and then ask God to bless them. It's, it, we're just constantly adjusting to what he is doing, all right? And then if I could break this down to one word, all right, and, and, and I think that this is what Luke's getting at. In one word, if you could summarize what, how this kingdom is going to grow, it's going to be discipleship. It's going to be discipleship. Discipleship is the key in this new system to Israel fulfilling the calling, their calling to witness to the world and to be a light. That is how this whole thing is going to happen, okay? And so what he's doing is, is with his relationship with the disciples, he's demonstrating this new system, and he has this relationship with them, and he's, and he's, he's kind of modeling for us how discipleship works, and then, and then that's what they're going to do, right? And so he, we, we read these parables like the feeding of the 5,000, and we're, we look at the miracle, but, but you know what? Even a bigger implication for us as we're, as we're understanding discipleship is part of the the goal of feeding the 5,000 was, was for the disciples to understand you, you can't feed them. You are completely reliant on me to do the feeding, uh, for, for me to bring the fish. You, everything is about what I am doing, and you depend on me. It is, it is all about me, okay? And, and here's what I love about the Lord is that when we, when we follow him and we're serious about learning his ways and building the kingdom— we don't have to, we don't ha we're not going to get it right. You're going to be like me, and hope, I hope you're not. I was, I've really made some stupid decisions. But it, he will be so patient to teach us if we are willing to listen when we do get it wrong, and we will. I mean, there's inevit inevitability to that as well um, because we are so prone to do things in our flesh, but his way is so different. And so just like he taught the disciples, he will come alongside us and he will teach us 
how to depend on him. Everything is about him. He is our source. And in this new system, in this new way, in the bringing of the kingdom, it is all about his activity. You think about spiritual gifts. All of us have, you know, different spiritual gifts. So we have discipleship. We know that's going to be our role, but how discipleship plays out is going to look different for every single one of us. All right? Every one of us play a, a different role, but it is about um, it is about bringing people to the Lord and, and growing this kingdom. All right? So, so the demand... The demand of discipleship is that his authority is what is going to set our agenda, okay? His authority means that there is no other way for, this, for my plan for the kingdom to come than my way. This is not your best Christian life now. Like, it, it's not optional, okay? Our mission, because of his authority, becomes his mission. God, where are you at work? What are you doing around me? Where's your activity? What, what do you want from me? Who are the people that you put in my life? What do you want me to say to them? Do you see how everything goes back to prayer and just asking him? If, if the Lord's ever used me, it's because in that quiet time, I have connected with him, and I'm like, Lord, where are you at work? It's kind of like I'm, like, I'm like I'm checking the air. God, I know I have my good ideas of what I want to do for you, but just, just what are you asking? You know, what's the next step? And in that, moment by moment, daily by daily, Slowly, we enter in to what he's doing, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a walk, and it's, it's beautiful, okay? And in this walk, we die. We give up control. The paradox is that we didn't ever have any control to begin with. <laughs> he is. He's perfectly in control. And so you know, he tells them what it's going to look like says, you know, you're going to deny yourself. Uh, you need to forget yourself. Remember Paul? I uh, had, a, had a tough time when I first came, uh, when, I, when I first came back to Kentucky, and um, my mind was so on myself, because all of a sudden I perceived so many needs that I had, and I, I sat with Brian and Heather, and I was like, I'm just so selfish, and they, and, and they were like, he handed me this little book, and I can't, who was it? Anyway, but the, the point was, is just that Paul, in loving Christ and in following in obedience, he just forgot who he was. He, he became irrelevant because he was focused on Christ and focused on the mission, so he went in the background. And so Christ comes in with this radical view of discipleship, and he says, you know, it, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to leave everything. You know, no, it, 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 this, is, this, is, this is a death march. The only true walk with Christ, and it is, the only true walk with Christ is to not to deny and to take up your cross and to follow. But, but what that looks like, honestly, is what well, we die when we get saved, don't we? We repent, and so we accept that there's nothing that we can add to the kingdom. And then basically, as we walk, he purifies it. He explains to us, nope, I want you to give up this too. And then we read the scripture, and then we realize this is in us, and so, so we die. And then we read, the, we read something else in his word, and we come to church, and then something convicts us, and then we, we die a little more, okay? It's this continuous process of us being set aside and him being exalted in our life. And so this, this discipleship to us, it's, it's this growing in intimacy, growing in dependence, and then it's the, it is truly this death to self. This life, in fact, will look like that we're losing it, but we're really not. 
in the end, we're going to gain anything. And I would love to say that, you know, the Lord blessed me before I got saved, that he kind of gave me everything I wanted, and I realized, oh my goodness, none of this satisfies. But now that I'm a Christian, I, like, I give, I give it all up again. I don't, I, like, like, to find Christ is really worth so much more. It is, it is so wonderful, and you know this. And so, so discipleship and this death to self and what he's trying to teach the disciples is all about being found in him. And as we're found in him, we experience life. And this is what the disciples, in the end, will eventually figure out. But in all of Luke, we're seeing that they don't really have a clue what's going on, okay? But in the end, we get, they get it. They do get it. And so then, not only are, do we understand discipleship and are we to, to follow Christ, but we are called to disciple others. All believers, one thing about this is that all believers are called to do it. It's not just those who have evangelism, and it looks in different phases, like different things. When I was in California, um, I, I taught uh, principles, so really um, the Beatitudes to, to gang members and stuff like that. And I remember having this conversation with the Lord, and I was like, Lord, I feel like all you have me doing is taking a jackhammer, and I'm busting up concrete, and to get some of these seeds planted, and then someone else gets to come along and plant the seeds, and I don't even get to plant the seeds. I just bust up concrete all day long, and I was really crappy about it, and I remember the conversation very well, and I also remember his response, and he was like, yeah, that's exactly what I have you doing. That's it. You're busting up concrete. All right, can you do this? That's all I've asked you to do, right? Yeah, yes, Lord. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So in different seasons, it looks like different things, but our work goes in different ways toward building this kingdom. And so what hinders us in discipleship is what we value, all right? If what we value is a relationship with God above all else, then we're going to love what he loved. We're going to love his people, and we are going to want to bring people into the kingdom. We're going to naturally disciple. It's just what's going to happen. And, and what I want to say is that, you know, we don't have to do anything big. We don't, we don't have to... It, it, this isn't a huge thing. I used to think that. Oh, I want to, you know, save a million souls, or I don't know. I was, had all kinds of big, big ideas. But if we just do what's in front of us, and that maybe like right now, uh, you know, in my season, it's, it's, it's children. It's getting to this is really fun. But, but ultimately, if, if, we, if we pray and we, and, we, and we bring the word of God to people and we enter into their pain and their hurt and we love them, then, then we're doing everything. Like, that's it. Isn't that simple? Like, like, this is the walk with Christ. It's not huge. The mustard seed, it, 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 it's inevitable, and it's going to happen. In Luke 19, we have the triumphal entry. This is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Greatly rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble a mountain on a donkey, on a colt. I'm going to paraphrase. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And what the Lord is saying is that it's a prophecy of what's going to come. And here we are in Luke, and we're seeing this happen. And what I want to say is that as you read the events of Christ's life at the end, you see that he's not a victim of his circumstance. He's ordering every single thing. He's completely in control of everything that is happening to him. In the beginning of Luke, when the, uh, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, and you remember saying, glory to God in the highest and peace to people, 
and, and that was, this was happening. This, the end of Luke, we're going to tie back to the very beginning where we were last week. And here, this is exactly what they are saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. And so this is a time of joy. And what I want to say about discipleship and about this season and where we're at right now before Christ comes and his full kingdom is here is that there are two things that we are promised, and that's what they're experiencing here. This is kind of like the inauguration of the kingdom, you could say, is, is peace and joy. Like if you have peace and you have joy, you have, you have everything. Like that is heaven breaking forth on earth. That is what was prophesied what Christ would bring. That is the life that we have. Can we be satisfied in these things? You know, we want security, and we want, um, we want things. We are so focused on this horizontal. But if we have Christ, and we have peace with him, then what can man, what can man do with us? Like, we, we don't, we're, not, we're not scared to die because we have what we need. Like, he satisfies. It's just, it is what it is. And if we could value this, then discipleship and everything else bears fruit, and it comes forth from our life. It's amazing. And we are promised this because of what he did. I couldn't move on from Luke without talking about the Lord's Supper. It is the true, um, okay, so I'll go back. So the foundational holiday up to this point was the Passover, okay? And they had, the, the Israelites had tons of uh, festivals. They had so many things that they did. And, um, but the, their main feast was really the Passover because that's when they celebrated uh, that the, the death angel passed over them and the, the blood was on the, the door of the lamb. And, um, and so they, they celebrated this. And it, was, it was a celebration. It was to remember that they were delivered, that there was redemption, and that there was freedom. And as they are delivered from slavery in Egypt, the parallel is going to be that Christ is saying, you're going to be delivered by my own blood. I'm, I'm the lamb that's going to sacrifice my life from you, and you're going to be free from, not from Egypt, but symbolically, you're going to be free from the slavery of sin. And not symbolically, we're freed from the slavery. We are literally freed from the slavery of sin. If you're in Christ, you know what it's like to be free from the slavery of sin, because now we have a choice. We can choose to obey, and that choice is everything. It's everything. And so, here he's saying, okay, I'm going to give you this celebration, and it's an extremely big deal. In fact, it's everything, and I'm going to wrap up all of the celebrations. So you, we have baptism as an ordinance, right? And then we have, we, have, uh, we have the Lord's Supper, okay? But all of our celebrations are in this one. If we did not celebrate Christmas, it would, it would not be a sin. It just would not. It would be a sin to miss the Lord's Supper. This is so important. Because this is the culmination of everything that Christ does and everything that he ordains. It is his blood, is, is, is his, his death is the basis for this new covenant. And in the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the new covenant. So he's transferred the central festival of the Old Testament to be the central festival, uh, th this to be this, new, the central festival of the new covenant, okay? 
Um, so he's also anticipating that one day this feast, we're not going to have an anticipation of what he's going to have in the fullness of it, but we're going to actually join him in heaven, okay, where when we set aside our life now, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to, um, he's going to reward us, and we're going to be there with him in full experience and in fulfillment, and what he's saying is that this is just, this is everything. It is such, it is such a big deal, okay, and so, um, so the Lord's Supper, you know, when, when we have it, I, like this blew my mind. I didn't, I didn't realize all this, and uh, it's going to mean a lot more to me, right? It's not just God forgive me and this, uh, y- you know, thank you for doing this for me. It's, we tend to make it very self-centered, but this is, the, the, this is the new covenant. This is everything that we celebrate and everything that we look forward to. And, and you know, something I was thinking is that if we suffered more, you know, if, 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 our, if our life... Uh, really was just in perfect intimacy. I think that we value this so much more, okay? Um, but it is a huge deal. And so we know that the cross is the climax of history, and it's coming up. But what I want to point out is that the battle for the cross was really won in the garden, okay? The prayer in the garden is where Christ shows his greatness. And basically, it's the prayer that's going to drive everything that's going to come completely to pass. Because that's where Christ lays down his will. And what I want to say is that if we're going to follow him, we, we can't miss this point. In the same way, when we pray, it is a setting aside of what we want. We are, it, is, it is where we die. Um, as we're reading the scriptures and we go into prayer, if there's anywhere that we're not in obedience, it's where we, we give up our will. But, but, but when we do that, when we make a choice, to submit to the Lord and anything that he's putting in our life. And then that opportunity comes. I don't know if you've noticed, but you just kind of walk in it. Like once you've died and once you've resolved, the opportunity comes and you just, you just walk in it. That's kind of what's happening with the cross, okay? So his battle was really a battle. He was always going to be submissive, but when he gave up his will, you know, he sweat the, well, we don't, I, I'm a little confused on the drops of blood because someone said maybe that's not true, but I'm just not going to talk about it. But um, I, I believe it was true because scripture said it, but anyway. I don't know that I can explain it. Um, but there was a battle there, and, and that is our battle too, is, is choosing. And we are, because of the new covenant, and because of the Holy Spirit in us, able to choose to submit and to obey and to honor him in all things. But just like him, obedience was a choice and a willful choice. It is our choice also, okay? And what, something I wanted to say is that, you know, we are called to submit if you are married. Is it submission is not weak. I think that laying down your will is probably the greatest opportunity to realize the walk of Christ and being a female that we could possibly have because it's, it's not a weakness at all. It's, it's a choosing to honor the Lord above all else, and it takes tremendous strength. I don't even know that you can, can truly submit without intimacy and without a walk with the Lord, the way that we're called to do it in Christ, the fact that he submitted to his Father's will is, is, is one of his greatest acts of strength and greatness. And that is our opportunity as Christians to submit to him. And, 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 and any time that we're in submission, whether we're submitting to him or, or we're called to submit in fulfilling our role and what he's, he's ordained for us, whether it be in marriage or, or submitting to authorities, it is, it is us choosing to submit because of his order 
But what's beautiful about it is it, 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 it calls us to complete reliance and dependence because it's showing ultimately that God is the authority, that he has ultimate justice, because when we submit, we're not always submitting to what is good, are we? And he's not. He is really submitting here to the ultimate injustice that ever was. And then he's going to call us to suffer like him because just as he is experiencing the greatest injustice being the perfect lamb, having never sinned, and coming to that cross and then dying, he is going to, he is setting an example for us that we are called to do the same. And he is laying aside his will, even though he was perfect, and we will be doing the same thing. We are going to look very weak on this earth as we submit to injustice, as we don't defend ourselves, he didn't defend our, himself, as we do all these things, we are like him, and it is, it, it is supernatural, okay? It is just supernatural, and it is such a sign of strength. So don't be scared, because it, it, it's a fearful thing to give up, it, to choose to submit many times, especially to injustice, but that is what we're called to do, and that is what we see him do as he comes to the cross. It is the greatest injustice, and Jesus does not save his life. Even the man that was next to him on the cross said, you know, save your life. You can do this. Never, says Christ. Not a chance. This is everything. At this moment of the cross, when he could have come down, this is a choice of his will. He is the strongest that he has ever been. And he's showing everyone, this is the way. And as he dies, every single thing that was prophesied is just checked off. Bam, bam. This is God's final wrath that is poured out on him that we deserve. Something that's significant is there's only two times in the book of Luke that the temple proper is used. So we have the temple referred to as like the outside courts, but the temple itself is only found in two places. Number one, when Gabriel first arrives and talks to Zechariah, notice that in the Holy of Holies, only one man was ever supposed to approach there. At the moment of the death, the temple is torn in two. And what is he saying? We all can enter the Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies, while we've been drawn to a person, we now have access to that temple. He has not just proven himself as the king of the Jews, though they mock him for it. He has now demonstrated that he is the great high priest. He has a sanctifying influence now, the direct power to forgive his sins, and he says to us, go, do likewise. This is discipleship. This is the point of Luke. When he dies, they take him to the rock. The women anoint him. That is the anointing of king. This is what they're saying. What was a tragedy is really the ultimate hero's death of all time. We will be celebrating it for all of eternity. The cross ultimately is the greatest testimony of who Christ is and why. Because a greater love has no man than this, than he who is willing to die for who he loves. Jesus loves the most perfectly, and he loves us so. We are reminded in Luke because it is a book about discipleship, that no servant is greater than his master. And this is what defines discipleship. It's pick up your cross and follow me. This means that just like Christ died, we're going to die. Our life, we're going to make 10,000 sometimes choices a day to die to ourselves, And it is, it is worth it because of him. And one day when we die, we will live and we will understand the benefit for eternity, was it worth it? Oh, yes, and we will get it. What is purchased by his blood is the new covenant. This is what has just been ratified in the New Testament. 
Now we can live by the new covenant because the same power that raised him from the dead is now, because of what he's accomplished, ours. Because everything I've just said is not possible without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is everything. We walked through the temple throughout the whole Old Testament. We said that Christ is the temple. Now the temple is us. We enter into the Holy of Holies when we pray. Prayer is our power source. Prayer is where everything happens in the life of the believer. So I'm just going to break this down, and there's a few little points, and I went ahead and typed them out on my sheet. They're at the bottom there, and you can just read them with me. This is just practically how do we, like, how do we apply uh, the book of Luke since I've just flown through it. And I tried, by the way, to just take the main points. That was my, my objective. Very hard. <laughs> uh, but number one, when we read the Bible, and I hope this really encourages you, but a number of years ago I just prayed, God, give me the faith to just believe everything you said. Like, give me that faith. If you say it, I believe it. And I have asked him, like, like let me just believe it. And, and we can all ask that same thing. Our tool is the same as Christ for victory. It's our knees. This is where we die, on our knees. Don't be scared to get on your knees. I get on my knees all the time. I think that as believers, we need to intentionally focus more on the vertical when we pray than the horizontal. So when someone asks you for a prayer request, you know, what's the vertical? I know that you just said that you have this need and it's physical, but what can I, when we pray for them, I think that we should be praying ten times more for the kingdom to come and them to realize Christ, because if we pray just for the physical, we miss the whole point. There's no, if if we pray them healthy and pray them, you know, good and everything, who cares if they miss the kingdom? Like, that's everything. I had a client this week that um, went through a lot of suffering. It was a horrible week. Um, I, I felt her pain, and I, I cried a lot. And, uh, and one of my prayers is, on top of everything that had happened to her, she had to go into surgery. And I said, Lord, I said, I know she didn't know you, and I sure want her to know you. I said, and if this trial would bring her to repentance, then, then let her have it. Lord, just like Christ, if there's any other way, let her be okay without it, and, and let me be the one. However you want to use me, let's, let's, let's get her the gospel. And, and, and she called me. Uh, the, the surgery went well. Uh, there was no cancer. Praise the Lord. I'm so happy. But let me tell you something. I care about her soul so much more than I care about her health, and my prayers and my knees I will be on until I see, I see the Lord working there. Um, by his mercy and grace. Okay, sorry, but, you know, th- he, just, he just speaks to me the whole time. I just love it so much. Okay, um, number three, pray intentionally for the kingdom. Number four, we think of love as being a feeling, but really it's a choice, and just realize that. We think, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel anything for them, or we think we just need to do something if we feel like it. No, at this point, that's just out the door. You can do every single thing that the Lord calls you to in Scripture. You're completely without excuse because of the Holy Spirit. You're just, we're just, we just are. Anything that he asks, you can do. Anything in the word, you can do, and you're, it's going to be required of us. You have to believe it now, and you do it whether you feel like it or not, all right? Um, and then number five, I said forgive, forgive. I, listen, there's nothing that anyone can do to us. It isn't worse than what they did to the son, and he is the one that encourages us because he walked this path to forgive. Do it. I don't care 
who's forgiven you every day, Lord? Do I have a grudge against anyone? Most days it's yes, okay? And, and I just bless them, Lord. Uh, you know, prosper them. You know, I, I, I pray. I, I, hold on to, I hold on to anger, but, but I'm, I'm going to pray for them. Um, it, is, it is a choice. This is, these are the little deaths that, that I was talking about. And then finally, your enemies and the bad things that happen, every single one is an opportunity for us to trust the Lord for justice, but love them. Love your enemy. These things that I have just said, we cannot do without the Holy Spirit. It is evoking his power in our life. It is purchased by his blood. This is our right as New Testament believers. If you want to see God glorified through your life, then this is how you do it. You evoke him in these ways, and you trust him. And I want to close by reading one of the passages that the Lord knows I have died on many times because I think it just sums it all up so beautifully. And then I will close. And it is in 1 Peter chapter 2, toward the end, uh, 2, 20 to 20. But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is our reality, and only by his power and only by his resurrection can we walk in this, but it is our privilege, and I hope that I have encouraged you today um, through the book of Luke to do this. Dear Lord, thank you for your words. You are so good to us. Your cross means so much more than we possibly comprehend. It is everything in our life. It's everyone to those around us that we love. Oh God, I pray that what came from you this morning would bear fruit for your glory and for the kingdom that you came on this earth to set in motion so that we could walk and be there in the fulfillment of it and have communion with you when we celebrate with all of the saints the victory that is completely at the end, all yours. In your name we pray.